This is Tracy. And this is Sheila, and we are Spy Fat Chicks. And we, happy summer. Happy summer. We're, we're bringing to you, uh, I guess, our summer vacation episodes right now. Yeah, so we're going to try to record as many as we can and try to be somewhat regular, but... We're not going to be that regular. Don't expect us to be, like, I don't know, Metamucil regular or anything like that. Yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Your schedule's still kind of wonky, but you have more spare time right now. That's true. But uh, one of the more exciting things is we finally, finally today, finally get to go to the Amsterdam Brewery. They keep advertising on Facebook or Twitter, if you, if you follow them, that they have free tours and tastings every Saturday from 1 to 5 p.m. And that's down at the Amsterdam Brewery on 45 Esandar, E-S-A-N-D-A-R. It's like some sort of Tolkien elven address. It is. 45 Ascendar Drive, Toronto, Ontario. It's where the, the elves built the road, but the awesome hobbits beer uh, brew the beer at the end of the yeah. road, because it's freaking good. It's around 38 minutes to 40 minutes from Oshawa by the 401, so it's on the east side of Toronto. Yeah, it's right off the Eglinton exit. You take Eglinton to Laird, which mm-hmm. our GPS still can't pronounce right, even with the British accent. Which is weird, because it's an English accent. You figured they'd have that nailed, but... Yeah, eh. you know... Anyway, easy to find. I was surprised at how easy it was for us to get to. As far as some of the larger uh, craft brewery players in the game in Ontario, they're probably the closest one to us for regular events. Well, first of all, I have to kind of back this up a bit. Anytime you talk about driving into Toronto, most people's sphincters go (laughs) and slam tighter shut than anything else, than a clam. In in fact, since we started talking, mine just did that because I hate driving into Toronto. (laughs) But this is in an industrial park, so it's pretty much right off the highway. They have ample parking, so you can check it out. The worst part's five kilometers on on the uh, Don Valley parking lot to actually get to it. True that. Spoken like a true Canadian. But five kilometers isn't so bad. You know, take a book with you to to read in traffic. You'll be fine. But honestly, it wasn't that bad. No, and this is the second brewery we, we've been to that's been in a an industrial park. Yeah, it was. Um, There's just the space for it. Yeah. The Black Oak Brewery is also. Mm-hmm. It's in Etobicoke, but it's also in an industrial park as well. Yeah, which is a good bit further for us because it is on the other side of Toronto, which is disappointing mm-hmm. because they do a lot of awesome regular events. It's just not feasible for us to make it out to any of them at all. It, with any sort of regularity. I yeah. Mean, once in a while we can make it, but... Yeah. Uh, follow them on Twitter, by the way, and go mm-hmm. to one of their board game events. They, you know, have different they do things stuff. on tap, and yeah. They do stuff very regularly. But back to the reason we're recording this episode, Amsterdam Brewery. Really easy to find, lots of parking. We walked in, the tour had just started, so they went ahead and tagged us on to the end of the tour, or the, the end of the beginning of the tour, I guess we were at the yeah. end of the... And uh, we'd missed the beginning part of the uh, history, but they've been around for a while. I don't remember how long. I think they actually are founded on a historic brewery that had been around even longer. Yeah. It seemed like the modern era of the brewing was probably in at least the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, the 80s. And they their whole goal was to make um, Heineken, but here. Yes. Hence the New Amsterdam yeah. brewery, right? Yeah, exactly. And... um. Since then, they have become pretty much their own craft brewery in their own right. They make a whole bunch of different beers now. One of the things that really surprised us when he was talking about the history is they bought the Kawartha Lakes Brewing Company back in 2003. So I don't know if you've heard any of our earlier podcasts, but we talked about how KLB was amazing, and then there was elation, and then gone, couldn't find it. And then we could find it. And then we could find it, but we didn't know where it was coming from. (laughs) Yeah, it was like this weird Brigadoon beer. It would appear in the beer stores, and we had no idea who was making it. We couldn't find the brewery to go tour at it. It was kind of creepy. It was like ghost beer. Mm -hmm. And I have had a long-term love affair with uh, KLB's raspberry wheat since we've moved back to Canada. Well, I can rest easy now, because now I know that Amsterdam is actually the company now that brews KLB. They've been doing it since 2003. They bought KLB just to get the recipe for that beer alone, pretty much. But they kept the name 
the same for brand recognition, and mm-hmm. they kept the recipe the same, so you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. So, we walk in. We're at the back of the tour. Small tour. Yeah. Maybe ten people on it. They were running tours pretty much as soon as the one tour finished. They had enough people to go for the other one. They were running it. They had two guys doing um, back-to-back tours. And this is the largest brewery we have been in, period. Yeah. I can't like, even say craft brewery, because we've never been to a major brewery, but it is the largest brewery we've been yeah, in. Yeah, it's categorized as a craft brew, but to be honest, this is the biggest brewing huge. setup I have ever seen, personally. Huge. And yeah. the, up to this point, I think the biggest one we've been to is Black Oak. Yes. Black Oak had a really big setup. Um, Flying Monkeys was right behind them. This is possibly twice the size of Black Oak in terms of their capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a, a metric butt-ton of fermenters. A lot of equipment there. They're ready to put out in capacity. He was telling us that last year they actually ran out of beer in the summer. The store at the brewery was just empty. They <laughs> couldn't keep up with demand. So they've really... They moved to this location recently, and they've pretty much doubled their capacity. Yeah. So they can keep up with the demand for it, which is awesome. Now, as far as the tour content goes, um, our tour guide, Chris, total props to Chris. Mad props for Chris. Wow. He's a good, doc, good guy. He did a great job of, of breaking down the brewing process in plain English so anybody could understand it. But he was still able to answer questions that some people had that were yeah, a bit more levels. intermediate. Yeah. Yeah. And when Sheila and I go to these kinds of things, we're always on the fence of, oh, should we do the tour or not? We've already seen so many breweries. We know so much about the brewing process. She brews. I play her little brewer's apprentice and stuff. And I make, you know, make and you the make brooms meat. and make them dance around magically. No. But I make mead. I, I, we understand how you get from grains and sugars yeah. and yeast to delicious things you that make you feel grains, funny. You take the grains, you cook them. That makes it sugary. You feed that to the yeast. The yeast poop in it and make carbonation and alcohol. And then you bottle that. And, and it's and the, good to go. The yeast poop is great. Just like for mead. You, you feed bee barf to yeast and you drink the yeast poop and it's delicious. <laughs> so we're always on the fence about it we even debated on the way down should we even do the tour should we just do the tasting eh, it's free let's do the tour anyway see what they have to say and i'm really glad we did mm-hmm. because we get to see their awesome equipment which is impressive um we get to hear a little bit of history of the brewery and it just it was fun to see some of the bottling information that he had for us yeah. like one of the things i didn't know is that um and I knew a little bit about how the long neck bottles aren't as durable as the stubbies. Yeah, but that was from a, was it? It was, was either it? an Intemperate History of Canada or it was uh, the, the loggerhead one. Mm. But it, I, I heard about it in both of them because one of them talked about the giant like marketing coup that moving to the long necks were. But really for the beer industry, not as good because the bottles aren't as durable. One of the things he talked about at the end of the tour when he showed us the bottling equipment is that those long necks aren't as good as you think they are. They, they break constantly. Um... Not constantly, but they break more frequently than you would think. And he was saying that one of the things for them that was one of the best moves they've done and is a good idea is that their bottles have the label permanently imprinted on it. Yeah. So when they use their bottles, they're using their bottles. They're, they're not, not just getting using industry standard bottles, which could be used any number of times before they actually come to the brewery and then break. So when these bottles go through their their equipment, they go through the line to be bottled. They don't break when they grab them to clean them. They don't break when they're going through the line. It's when they go to fill them because they put this. The machine puts a stopper on it and creates a seal, and starts like high pressure pumping beer into it, and that's when they explode. So the part where they fill the beer has this like cage around it of. Mm. of it was in, like enclosed bulletproof glass or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he opens up the cage. He's like, "Don't touch that door because it's full, it's like full of um, embedded shards of glass from bottles blowing up." We're like, yeah. wow. And he was talking to us about how they did a special run of Frambois, which was done in ceramic bottles, which had never been used before. And they lost out of, like, what, 1,400 bottles, 12? 14 or 12. Something yeah. like that. And he said that's actually really good. When they get to the regular bottles, they lose, like, four times as many. 
Yeah, so for a batch. It's kind of scary, you think, you know, bottles exploding everywhere, but the way it's set well, up, it's, your beer's sealed. You don't have to worry about glassing your beer, but still. Right, exactly. But you still think about how people use those beer bottles. Mm -hmm. How many cottages did those things get hauled to? How many ashtrays were those used as? How many porches were they dropped off of? You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and they just cram them into the bottle, yeah. bring them back to the beer store, and the, the breweries go to pick their bottles up from the beer store, sanitize yeah. them, clean them, and then... Yeah, and have bottle failure. It just kind of made me think about the whole process of the bottling versus canning thing. And normally people say, oh, beer in a can. Canned beer has gotten much better. They have a liner in the can now. A lot of uh, smaller breweries are moving to canned beer because it is cheaper and easier. Mm -hmm. And after hearing their challenges with some of the bottles, not major challenges, but things I never realized before, I thought, oh, yeah, like known issues. See, yeah, I could see why they've moved to cans for a lot of things, and it makes a lot of sense. But the way I look at it is I'd rather have the bottle explode when they're filling it oh, than when amen. I try to open it. Amen. Because nothing makes you more angry than when it's either the you first bottle or the last bottle, and you try to open it, and the whole neck cracks off, and oh, you can't that's drink the worst. it. But I, I do have a newfound appreciation just for what he was saying about some of the safety facets for the cans that they use. And I don't know. I, I used to, even still, I would look at canned beer and be like, I don't know, maybe, it depends on where it's from. Now I look at it, after seeing their setup with the bottling and the canning and everything, I kind of dig the canned stuff, especially with what he said in consideration to beer becoming light struck, which yeah. we were aware of before, but we had never realized how um, fast it can happen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, cans block all that light that makes your beer taste funky. Cool stuff. And they're... There's arguments both ways for which is more environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. Still the most environmentally friendly way you can go is by going to your local pub and having a keg from a local brewery. Yes, because it literally goes from the brewery to the keg to the beer store gets shipped out. Very fast, efficient, not traveling all over the place, going to the store, sitting on the shelf, that kind of thing. Resource-wise, it is the most efficient. Even better is if you have a local brew pub, going to yeah. your local brew pub and drinking their local supply. But, you know, we don't drink to be green. We drink because it's awesome. They so did have get, some really nice looking growlers there, though. They did have some sexy growlers, I do have to say. But I'm going to get off my high horse there. And and just to sum it up, the tour itself, a lot of good information. If you know nothing about brewing, it's absolutely fascinating. Even if you know a good bit about brewing, they're going to be able to handle your questions. And it's fun to see their equipment. Because I would say after that, the next step up is like major... Major macro brewer. Yeah. Because they've got a decent setup. They could probably cram some more fermenters in there and everything, but... I'm actually curious to see how big the Alexander Keith's set up in Nova Scotia's compared mm -hmm. to this. Yeah. Yeah. But they're they're impressive. After the tour, you go back to their little bar where you start the tour and then they bust out the samples and they do sampling right. They give you a little it looks like a little 4 ounce juice cup with the label branded on the front and they start passing around pitchers. And as they're passing around the pitcher, the tour guide explains to you what beer you're drinking, what's interesting about it, what you need to know about it, what you should be tasting. All kinds of interesting tidbits of information about the beer, which is nice to get. Absolutely. And he did it for each one. They didn't just give you a row, a flight of beer, and say, here, go at it and drink and figure it out. No, it, it was, was very, done very, very measured. Much guided. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there was time to ask him questions about it. He stopped and explained what made this one different from the other ones. That was really cool. He was really showed his knowledge there. He also showed his love of uh, IPAs, which is kind of <laughs> adorable, to be honest, because I'm becoming a bit of a hophead myself. The first one we have was the Amsterdam Blonde. Which is their flagship beer. That's They actually just won in the Ontario Brewing Competition. They won a gold award for that. For the Blonde beer, yeah? Yes. And this is one that they said that the formula hasn't changed since the 80s. So they've been making this beer for over 20 years, and they got a gold award for it, which means, yes. It's just now getting recognized. And they're doing something right. Yeah. And it's a lager. Um, really... For those of you who've listened to the podcast, for those of you who've listened to the podcast before, 
you've heard me wax philosophic about yingling. I believe <laughs> I've called it the mother's milk of beer to me. I and believe you said that, yes. I, I do believe I've made that comparison more than once. The blonde from Amsterdam Brewing is a lot like Yingling's uppity younger brother. One, because it is a younger formula, so I could call it younger. You know, Yingling's been around since the 1870s. Uh, but two, it's it's got a little more kick to it in terms of taste. Yeah. Yingling is very smooth, very mellow. You can kick that back all day, but it still has a lot of body and flavor to it as a lager. Mm-hmm. When you drink the, uh, the Amsterdam blonde, there's there's almost a little punch behind it almost like it's saying you know what you're gonna like hops one day so here's something to make you think about hops but it's not hoppy that's the only way i can describe it that's a good way of describing it the next one we tried was the klb raspberry (laughs) raspberry wheat always a crowd pleaser good summer beer and then after that was it big wheel yes we went on to the big wheel amber was it yeah, it's, it's a copper beer. It's one of my favorites. I really mm-hmm. like it. And it's got a little bit more of the hops punch to it. Yeah, it, it was a progression from, hey, you're going to think about hops to, okay, have some raspberries. Now you're going to think about hops a little more seriously. It was like a gateway drug to hoppy yeah. beers. I think he actually said that this is like the... Uh, the training wheels. The training wheels of, <laughs> yeah. of hops. Check this out. You're going to like it. And it's going to really introduce you to hops and get you through the door. Now, for the first time ever, too, when we were drinking these beers, I actually took my time to really smell them. And the KLB raspberry, I really wanted to use it as some kind of perfume because it smelled good. Mm-hmm. It, it just had this nice raspberry aroma to it. Granted, we were getting it as about as fresh as you can get. You can't get it any fresher anywhere else you go. Yeah. But the Big Wheel, that, Sheila kind of yelled at me because I compared it to an Avon lady, but in a good way. I'm like, stop saying it like that. They're going to think it's bad. Like, no, but it's in a good way. It smells like an Avon lady. Say it's floral. Say but it, it did. has notes of floral Avon ladies. I don't know. But it had this amazing smell to it that you don't really associate with a beer. It mm-hmm. just smelled great. Again, I wanted to dab a little bit on my neck and say, hey, smell me. I'm sure I'd do it to an undercover cop and get arrested for smelling like booze. But it was good. And then after that, he kind of progressed us into the next step, past the gateway drug of IPAs. Into the full-blown, this is you drinking hops. <laughs> that was the uh, Market yeah. IPA. Market IPA, which is right now only available on tap. Mm-hmm. in various locations um, if there's enough demand for it they will bottle and can it he expects that's probably going to happen sometime in the next he, year or so yeah he said in the next year or two and i can see why it's, it's good. good it really is good i almost want to compare that to optical illusion by flying monkeys yeah because it had a little more punch to it like optical illusion does with, with the hops but it doesn't blow your mind it's more of a gateway drug to true hops that you notice this is a gateway drug to hops if someone says oh yeah i like hops this is what you give them Mm -hmm. or if someone's like hops what are those things is this some sort of disease that rabbits get you give them the you give them the big wheel the big wheel (laughs) you give them the big wheel to break them in then you you sneak a uh, market ipa in and and see what happens good stuff though it was great and And then then, moving right along since you're down in the hops hanging out you you might as well go for a bone shaker oh dear god now, the logo for this is a skeleton riding a bicycle, and I could just imagine how uncomfortable that skeleton's ass is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is uh, hoppy. What do you say it was on the, uh, the hop scale? I think it was like an 80 or 85. 80 or 85. Yeah. Because the, the fracture, which is the next level, which we didn't actually try, yeah. was uh, in the hundreds, like yeah. low hundreds. 115, I think. Yeah. So, and there's a scale they use to measure how hoppy a beer is. They're and, IBUs. Yeah, IBUs. And I, today... International bitterness units. Today's the first time I managed to make the connection in my, my feeble little brain between that and this uh, Schofield scale for uh, capsaicin. I'm like, oh, I get it now. 
So um, the IBUs, we started with in the 50s for the market, 80s for bone shaker, 115 for fracture. And then we had one a long time ago at the Bracebridge uh, Beer Festival. It was by Trafalgar. And wasn't that like 200 or something? It was like the Atomic or something? Yeah. Yeah. It was just a horrible, bitter inducing, you can't control the convulsions of your face. And that must have been twice of what the bone shaker was. So I kind of get it now. I'm like, okay, ghost chilies versus habaneros. Yes. Versus jalapenos. Cool beans. Versus banana peppers. Versus here's a green pepper, which was really the raspberry wheat. Yes. But the bone shaker, again, smelled amazing. Wanted to dab it behind my ears, but it actually tasted good. So I I think we can safely say I'm an IPA fan now. And then the last. Kind of last. It was kind of last. Um, was the nut brown, which we have drank gallons of. Yeah, I <laughs> love no nut surprise. brown. I love. I'm really big into red beers, copper beers, brown beers, and then some of the darker stuff too. I'm really big like, into all beers. I like wheat beers too, you know, and I like lagers, but I really have a spot in my heart for copper beers, red beers, and brown beers. I think the only beers we can say that neither you nor I are big fans of are pilsners. Yeah. We can take or leave a pilsner. If we have a choice between a pilsner and just about anything else, we'll go with just about anything else. Yeah. And it's because the, the American macro brews have really given pilsners a bad name. Like, will I try pilsners in Germany? Absolutely. Hell yeah. I will totally, someday when we go over there, I will totally try a pilsner or Czechoslovakia. I'll yeah. totally try a Czech pilsner, but. Or if there's an Here, Ontario craft eh. brew, uh, Ontario craft brewery that did a pilsner, I would check it out. Mm-hmm. But anything else, not a big fan. So yeah, had the nut brown. We said, oh my god, this is amazing. Then he said, you know, one day I was at the brewery downtown, back when they had the downtown thing, which they're opening a new brew pub downtown, by the way. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I was bored. Nobody showed up for the tour, and I decided, what else do you do at a brewery? But you drink when nobody's there. So he started mixing beers and seeing what kind of combinations he could come up with. And he ended up mixing the nut brown with the raspberry. And he said, I want you guys to try this. So you, got, you drank your little cup about halfway down with the nut brown. And you walked around with a pitcher of raspberry. You started filling everybody's cups back up. Dear God, was that good. He called it a raspberry truffle, and I can see why. Yeah. The chocolate malts from the nut brown totally tasted chocolatey. And then you had the raspberry mm-hmm. concentrate from, from the raspberry wheat. It was awesome, though. It was just... It reminded me of a, a drink that we've kind of been turned on to by a local bar up, up our way called A Perfect Storm, which is a layer of cider, a layer of a wheat beer to separate it, and then a layer of Guinness on top. So as you drink it, you get the sweet and the bitter. And this was kind of like that, where you had that, the two, like the two punch. The from the chocolate, yeah. Yeah, and one the two punch. from the raspberry, yeah. And it was perfect. So I, I think in the future, I see us buying many bottles of nut brown and raspberry wheat at the same time and mixing just mixing those, those together, boys. like a mad scientist. Yeah. Because that was pretty damn good. So, again, Chris, tour guide, absolutely knowledgeable about the product, a a joy to have as a tour guide, a lot of fun to talk to. The group we were with was really great, really pleasant. And then, while talking to some of the members of our group, and they said, oh, you're from Oshawa, we learned new information. New information. And after that, we do have to go back and talk about the barrel project. Yes. So. So the new information that we learned, we were sitting at the bar, and one of the old guys next to me says, so he said, where are you from? And I said, oh, we're from Oshawa. And he said, oh, is it, how is this compared to any of the beer in Oshawa? And I'm like, we well, laughed. There's not really any brew pubs in Oshawa right now. We said, you mean the LCBO? Yes, the LCBO in Oshawa is very nice. We can get this at the LCBO in Oshawa. It's just a bit further away. Um, the couple at the end said, oh, there's a brew pub in Whitby that's opening soon. Or brewery. Like, what? Yeah. This is going to be awesome. We say, wait, what? No. They say, yeah, it's right by the AMC. We're like, 
No, we know that area. That's where Trinity is. Which, by the way, we are recording from Trinity's patio right now. <laughs> because after coming back from Amsterdam Brewery, we swung by a whippy, found the little brewery, and just kind of walked in. Sheila just invited herself in and said, hello, are you open yet? I saw a shop back, so I figured that they weren't. But I figured I'd see if I could get some info, get the intel. And they're not open yet. It's the uh, Five Paddles Brewery? Correct. And they also sell home brewing supplies. There are five guys who are home brewers, uh, Durham Region home brewers, that decided to get together and open up a small brewery and sell home brewing supplies, which is incredibly exciting for our area because up until now, if you wanted any kind of real brewing supplies, you had to go to the other side of Toronto to get it. Or Peterborough. Or Peterborough. And that yeah. really put a, a stop, or Kingston, on Sheila's Brewing. She hasn't been able to brew brew in ages because of that. So we're pumped they'll be open sometime in june we're excited to try their beers if you want to stop by you can actually stop by their location on sunray drive and pick up brewing supplies now they're open for that but as far as actually getting up and going they're not gonna probably start brewing until uh june yeah and we're gonna link it up like crazy we'll we'll put links up on the facebook and on twitter and everything mm -hmm. i'm excited did you see the cute little paddles they had made for the taps yes those are adorable those are pretty exciting so i am stoked we're gonna have some local brewers in Oshawa, putting out hopefully a good product. I can't wait. We're going to be like their groupies. Uh, hopefully you're going to get your brewing back up and going. We'll have some mad scientist Sheila creations to talk about in the future. Yay! But back to the barrel project. So they have all these gorgeous barrels out in the lobby when you walk into Amsterdam Brewing. I'm like, oh, those are nice. And we're, we sit down after the tour and he said, oh, those are full of beer, by the way. And what it is, is they've gotten their hands on as many different barrels as they could get their hands on. And they've started putting beer in them to age it to find out what it's going to come out like. And it's called the uh, Barrel Adventure. The old guy that asked us where we were from and if we had good beer in Oshawa actually asked him about, uh, he's like, oh, so you know Innocent Gun. Do you guys do anything like that where you age it in whiskey barrels? Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> Something kind of like that. And one of the ones he showed us the bottle of, which I don't remember the name because it went by so fast, was done... Um, he said it was a Japanese Chardonnay that they ended up using as a, a barrel to put beer in, and that was one, one of the ones they bottled. So whenever they do that, those ones, they bottle them, they only sell them at the store at the brewery, so if you want it, you have to make the trip in to get it. It's a very small batch. Exactly. If you want to know about it, really, you have to follow them on Twitter, you have to follow them on Facebook. I really wouldn't mind checking it out when one kind of catches our interest. I think it's worth the 30-minute trip in to go check it out. Anything else you want to add about Amsterdam Brewing? I don't think so. I I'm it. impressed. Me too. It's close enough to us, we can start maybe going to more of their stuff. I like their product. I'm as big a fan of theirs now as I was Milk Street, especially now that I know they do KLB Raspberry, which has yeah. been one of my favorite beers since we moved back. That's exciting. This is Tracy. And this is Sheila, and we are Zvi Fat Chicks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this Zvi Fat Chicks podcast. Please add us as a friend on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. You can email your comments, questions, or suggestions to ZviFatChicks at gmail.com. That's Z-W-E-I-F-A-T-C-H-I-C-K-S at gmail.com. Our theme music is Hot Swing by Kevin McLeod. Our podcasts, like Mr. McLeod's music, are protected under a Creative Commons attribute copyright. You can make copies of our shows and share them with friends. Please make sure that credit is given. Thanks for listening and have a great day.